laying out the steps to true revival next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace. Glad you could join us. Pastor Ed Taylor is at the tail end of a study in 2 Kings. We'll join him in chapter 22 momentarily. Now, we learned last time the first two steps to genuine revival are what is broken or neglected is repaired. And then we find the Word of God and begin to live it out. We'll pick up today with Pastor Ed's third point, and that has to do with repentance. Number three, notice verse 10. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And now it happened, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Now you Bible students know that the tearing of clothes was an outward representation of an inward response. And that inward response is known as repentance. Revival involves repentance. Because when new life comes into us and God breathes new life, He reveals to us how we got here in the first place. How how and what we neglected. I mean, if you have neglected the Word of God, the only way to come back to the Word so that it speaks to you is to repent of the sin of neglect. And just say, Lord, I have. I have been far from you. Revival is repentance. There is a sense of deep remorse and a desire to change. The king tears his clothes as a sign of deep repentance, realizing how far, how far off course the kingdom really is. And remember, this is a king that what? Did right in the sight of the Lord. It is another example of leaders when they repent, they repent for us, not for them. Recognizing that we're in this together, that it's us, that God, he wants to pour out his spirit on us that he wants to do a new work in us, and that we have failed you, God, that that we are far from you. It's not this attitude, you have been far, I've been just fine. Because there's always an area in our lives where we can grow in the grace of God. There's always an area in our lives where we open ourselves up and you're like, yes, Lord, I want to grow in this area. Forgive me for my neglect. And I love this. The king just like, hey, this this is the sign. I'm your leader. Forgive us, Lord. Number four, notice verse 12. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikim the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it concerning us. Another step number four of revival is a desire for direction. A desire for direction. The king commands the priest here to seek the Lord for his direction. Inquire of the Lord for me. Inquire of the Lord for us. Like Saul of Tarsus, 
on the road to Damascus when he was arrested by God and the light shone and he fell off his animal. He said in Acts chapter 9 verse 3, it says he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, in verse 5, he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And this is the moment where Saul of Tarsus is born again. He becomes Paul the apostle. And you, can't, you can say that the greatest revival to take place in a person's life is from when they go to darkness to light, when they go from lost to found, when they go from uh, you know, separate from God to saved, when they're born again. So this is a great revival. And what does Saul of Tarsus say when, he's revealed, when God reveals himself? What does he say? He asks the question, Lord? what do you want me to do? You know fresh life has been birthed in you when you are open to do what God wants you to do, when you're asking the question. Or maybe you're in just such a timid place, God's restoring to you a new freshness, and you're asking, brother, pray for me. I want to know what God wants in my life. I want to know what he needs from me in this season, and so pray for me. And you begin to seek direction for your life that you no longer are going in your own way, but you're going in the way of the Lord, and you want to know. You want to know. You don't want to know just for information's sake. You want to know for life change, because in your life you've been revived. And you're like, God, I need to know what your will is for my life. Notice verse 14 now. So Hekiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to, mark this, Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, in all the words of the book which the king of Judah read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. And to the king of Judah, but to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord." Surely, therefore, I'll gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I bring on this place. And so they brought the word to the king. It's a beautiful section. I'm really encouraged by verse 19. There's a value in tenderness and humility. It was recognized by God. Two things that really aren't valued in our culture today, tenderness. You know, what seems to be valued today is harshness and cutting a harsh line, and, and sharing a harsh word. And, you know, it seems like the ones that move up the corporate ladder and the ones that seem to get ahead are the harsh ones. They seem to be being rewarded, and the tender ones get run over and get stepped on. And, and the humility, not very valued today. Instead, pride and self-confidence and self-esteem and make sure you assert yourself. And self, 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 self is on the throne. And we've been taught at a young age, it doesn't matter. We've been taught at a young age, self, self, self. And yet, what does God respond to? Tenderness and humility. God values tenderness. That's a theme. That could be a Bible study in and of itself of how God values tenderness and humility throughout the scriptures. Brokenness. God is attracted to weakness. 
It's where his strength is made perfect. It's so counterintuitive to our culture. Some of you are just fearful of having a tender heart, of expressing humility, of giving preference to one another. And that's where the Holy Spirit works in our lives and manifests himself through agape love, where we begin to give preference to one another and serve one another. So I want you to see this. I want to close in this section with this woman by the name of Huldah. She is a prophetess. And understand during this time of Josiah's reign, Jeremiah and Zephaniah were available to King Josiah. He could have called upon these dynamic men that God used in incredible ways to speak forth. I mean, consider Jeremiah. If you have ever read, maybe you want to spend some time, if you haven't, to read through Jeremiah's prophecy, it is heavy. He shared some difficult words from God. He shared some of the most difficult words, and nobody listened to him. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because of the broken heart that he had because during this time, nobody listened to him. And he had Jeremiah available to him, Zephaniah available to him. But instead, he sends these men to Huldah, a prophetess. And her answer is also a difficult one to receive. Her answer was, difficulties are on the way. God's judgment and wrath is coming. But because Josiah was tender and humble and seeking God, God connected with him and said, a lot of bad things are happening, but Josiah, you won't experience them. They'll come after you. You're going to die in peace. And here they are in the midst of revival, and yet still the wages of sin is always death and judgment, eventually. The Bible reminds us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of de decay and death. Those who sow to the flesh will reap corruption. That's how you memorized it. But I love how the New Living puts it. If you sow to your own sinful desires, you and I will harvest the consequences of decay and eventually death. But to those who live to please the Spirit, harvest everlasting life. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. And yet, it doesn't phase him. Josiah keeps moving forward in revival, which we'll get to in our next study. Worship is repaired. God's word is revealed. True repentance is offered. And this deep desire for direction all happens in a revived heart. But before we leave, I don't want us to just read over the value that God places on women in the ministry. And we can't just skip over the fact that God did not, did not inspire Josiah to go get Jeremiah. And God did not inspire to Josiah to go get Zephaniah. But rather the word of the Lord, that request for direction, went to Huldah, the prophetess. You see, God has a powerful role for women in his perfect will, both here in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and also in the New you could say today that God has a very important role for you ladies in the church of Jesus Christ. I know this gets lost in all the debates and all the argumentation of whether women can be pastors and whether women can be teachers. Now I do believe, if you want to turn over to 1 Timothy, I do believe that the leadership, so go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, that the leadership of the church 
is to be male. The pastors and the elders are to be men. And yet that in no way limits not only the value or the usage of women in the church. That women are gifted with spiritual gifts to be used even as men. And so the distinction of roles and responsibilities in no way diminishes the value of women. And it's something that we all need to repent of for the Bible being used to somehow take the role of a woman and put it secondary to the role of a man. That's not God. The Bible says on more than one occasion that in Christ there's neither male nor female. Now that's not taking away the distinctions of male or female, but it's the elevation of our value, men and women, is equal in the eyes of God. Equal. Equal is spelled E-Q-U-A-L. It means equal. And don't let the debates and the arguments or even the limitations that the Bible places on certain roles in the church to then, be the, to, to then bring you to the conclusion, well, you know, this church thinks less of me. Uh, God thinks less of me. It's not true. We have an example right here of qualified leaders of men to be accessible to God. Uh, excuse me, accessible to Josiah and to God. And what does God do through Josiah? He sends them to a woman, and a woman gives a strong word of prophecy that was accurate from God. Don't miss that. But now, in the role of women in the church, the most controversial passage is found right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So turn your attention, would you, to verse 11. In 1 Timothy 2, 11, it says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in tran into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. So these verses have caused some of the most serious controversy between men and women in the church than really any other passage of Scripture, maybe uh, perhaps except for Ephesians chapter 5, another passage that emphasizes the role of a wife to be submissive to a husband. The limitations of roles is throughout the scriptures. So for example, according to the Bible, women, you cannot ever, the rest of your life, ever be a husband. Did you know that? <laughs> that limitation is from God. It's not a church limitation. It's not a man limitation. You can never be a husband, ever. Men, you can never be a wife. It's impossible. God has limited that. Now, I know in our culture war and throwing away titles, it seems like, well, you know what, everybody's... A Listen, according to God's word, it's not possible. But men, you not being able to be a wife, does that make you less of a man, yes or no? Say it out loud. Are you guys afraid? Just say it out loud. Don't be afraid, men. This is God's word. You not being able to be a wife, men, does that make you less of a man? No. Ladies, you not being able to be a husband, does that make you less of a woman? No. So the roles and responsibilities that God has ordained does not speak to the value of a person. Let me give you a fancy theological term that will help you in this discussion. Write it down because it will help you. It's a fancy word, but it's, it, it's, it's a very simple word. But if you can throw big words around, it sounds like we're smart. So let me give you a big word. According to the Bible... Men and women, and here's the word, are ontologically equal. 
It's O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y, I think. You can look it up. Look it up later. It's a fancy word that simply speaks of nature. And at the ontological level, we are equal as human beings, even though we possess very distinct differences, both physiologically, physically, emotionally. Women and men, let me just say it on the authority of God's word, women and men are different. Does that surprise anybody? You guys are scared. Like, you're not working with me here. You're like, scared. Don't be scared. This is God's truth. And so ontologically, we're equal. And yet we're distinctly different. God made it that way. I praise God for his creative purposes. I praise God for what he has done. I praise God for the differences that he's come to us. And so, you know, we aren't going to develop this, but in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And sometimes I can be so isolated from its context of true submission unto God that as a married couple, we, those of us that are married, are mutually submissive to one another and to the Lord. But even for those that aren't married, the body of Christ is mutually submissive. We're not going to let the world or our society or culture taint what God is working through His church and what He wants to accomplish. There's nothing in this passage degrading to women, putting women down, or hurting women. What Paul, what Paul is telling Timothy is, I don't allow a woman to be in a place of spiritual authority over a man. That the spiritual authority in the church has been given to men. And that leadership has been given to the pastor, the senior pastor. It doesn't mean that women can't teach at all. And it certainly, notice in, back in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence. It doesn't mean women need to be silent. This is a cultural thing as well. And from the, from the time of their communication, where in the church, in the time of Timothy in Ephesus and Corinth, Men and women were divided. Men on one side, women on the other side. There was conversations going back and forth. And he's bringing order to the worship service. But he's not saying women have to be silent in the church. Because in Titus, he said that older women are to admonish the younger women. That when women are praying, they're to do so orderly. Like it's not complete silence. So context is everything. And like I said, we're not going to develop this. But I just want you to know that this isn't degrading or limiting to women. Women are not to be teaching over men in relation to doctrine and theology. Doctrine is the place of authority. Does this mean a woman can never teach a man? Of course not. Because, I mean, think about the value and the wisdom that God has given to women as they study the Word of God. The the value and wisdom that God has given to women. I I have found over the years in, in ministering to men and women that women have been given a really special sensitivity to the Holy Spirit where men... You know, sometimes we don't get it. And there's balance in the body between men and women. Like, for example, if my wife is doing her devos, and she says, Ed, come down, I have something to share with you. I do not come downstairs like this. Woman, thou shalt not speak to me. You are a woman. I will not learn from you. How long is that going to last? Oftentimes the Lord gives great wisdom through my wife. As a matter of fact, guys that are married, if you're wondering what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, it sounds a lot like your wife. Because often God will bring someone into your life to speak a word to you when you haven't heard it from anyone else. And many times in the marriage, it's through your spouse. We aren't men to take this passage and degrade women in some way. 
to harm or to hurt them or to try to rule over them. I, I love the insights that I hear, not only from my wife, but from my daughter, women in the church. We have significantly valuable women on our team here, serving both on staff and in leadership here. Like, this is so vital that the women in our fellowship rise up and serve with authority and with clarity. But it's clear that as women serve here, it's clear that as women are serving within the church, here in our church, I can speak to you, the women that serve here, they serve under the authority of the pastoral leadership of our church. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we've listened in to a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Kings. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, as you were speaking today about the roles of men and women in the church and the value of women in the ministry, a question came to mind. As you know, there's been a blurring or redefining of the lines of our society between men and women. Many are contending that we can identify as a male, female, or be neutral, despite what our human anatomy is telling us. But what does the Bible have to say on this issue? Does God determine who we are, or do we have a say in the matter? Well, Larry, this is a very sensitive uh, topic that's very popular in our culture today. It's created a lot of confusion. It's hurt a lot of people. It's divided a lot of families, and it even breaks my heart to consider uh, answering this question. It's, it hurts. It hurts on so many different levels. Of course, the answer is very simple, even though it's not received simply, and that's this. God created them male and female. Uh, that's what it says in Genesis as we look to our Creator, He's the one that defines our lives. He's the one that gives us. And, and not only does He give us that definition, but in our own DNA makeup, it communicates who we are. Now, I know that by the time we express ourselves in our body, by the time we express ourselves within culture, many people are confused. Men want to be women, and women want to be men, and they want to identify that way. They want to mutilate their bodies through surgery to uh, mimic, never really become, but mimic the opposite sex, even though in their makeup, you know, and who they are, they are male or female. Not only does the Bible strictly prohibit that, but those that are undergoing that, they understand. They understand how hard it is. The Bible says that the way of transgressor is hard. And maybe you're listening to me right now and you're, you're upset or you're, you're like, no, that's not true, Pastor. You're just another one of those haters. I'm not. You, you can just be honest with yourself. Uh, I don't hate you. Uh, in the love of Jesus Christ, I care for you. And, and while what you're struggling with isn't something I ever struggled with, there were many other things I did, trust me. Many other things that were hurting me, harming me, that I wrestled with, that God has helped deliver me and help give clarity of who I am in Christ. Because ultimately, male, female, ultimately what's most important is that are you in Christ? Because in Christ, that's your identity. So I just want to encourage you. I know it's confusing, and maybe you're not even confused. You're just like, oh, I'm not confused. Oh, listen, God loves you. He sent us on Jesus Christ to die for you. 
as a sacrifice in place for you so that you might live forever with him in relationship. And that's my heart for you. Um, Living out who God made you to be is the most satisfying way of life. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Power of Prayer. You know, many of us have a lackluster prayer life, and perhaps it's due in part to really not understanding the power of prayer. This easy-to-read devotional can help. It takes just a minute to read, but a lifetime to apply. Again, it's called The Power of Prayer, one-minute devotions by E.M. Bounds. As many of you know, E.M. Bounds is best known for his books on prayer. So give your prayer life the needed boost here at the beginning of a new year. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 2 Kings. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.